For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realised in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Well, the key verse of this passage, if you look at it, is verse 13. It is the application of this section of Ephesians. Have a look at Ephesians 3, verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So I want to start by asking you a question this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. I wonder what is the thing that is most likely to cause you to lose heart, or perhaps to give up even being a follower of Jesus altogether. Or if you're here this morning and you're simply looking on the Christian faith, what is the thing which is most likely just to stop you dead in your tracks? I'm not going to ask for answers out loud, so uh, have no fear, but just uh, ponder for a moment. It may be something obvious, I guess, like having a a job perhaps that sucks the life out of you, or it may be just uh, gently drifting away from church, becoming less and less regular. I guess it could be an addiction of some kind, pornography or gambling, or perhaps actually, if you're honest, it's not really a question you've given much thought to. And yet if we take the Apostle Paul seriously in this letter to the Ephesians, then very near the top of the list will be forgetfulness. That's a surprise, isn't it? Forgetfulness. It doesn't really sound very serious. Yet actually, in the first half of this letter, I wonder if you've noticed over these last few weeks, there are actually only two commands. Have you noticed that? The first command is chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember, it's repeated in uh, the next verse, remember. And the second command is the one I've just read out, chapter 3, verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart, because remembering is the key to not losing heart, to being strong, to standing firm as a follower of Jesus. Remember, first century Ephesus was very much like 21st century London, a major city where the world looks big, the world looks impressive, the world looks powerful, and where to be a follower of Jesus looks very small and to be very much on the edge. 
And so in chapter 1, verse 10, Paul began this letter by doing what? By reminding them and us of God's plan for the world. Have a look back to chapter 1, verse 10. God's plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, all things in Christ Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. God's master plan for a whole new creation under the rule of Jesus. He then goes on to remind us again, chapter 1, verse 21, that the risen Jesus is now seated, 121, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. In chapter 2, verse 13, he reminds us of the great salvation that lies at the heart of the Christian faith. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Do you see, Ephesians is a don't-lose-heart letter. It's a stand-firm-by-remembering letter. A letter, in other words, which helps us to see with the eyes of our heart, the spiritual realities that we cannot see with the eyes that are in our heads. Well, I put an outline on the back of the service sheet. Uh, let me warn you, the first point is significantly longer than the second point, so don't lose heart in about 20 minutes' time. The first point, don't lose heart when the opposition looks big, or probably better, don't lose heart when the world looks big. Because it's hard to miss the fact that this whole section is framed by conflict and suffering. Chapter 3, verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. And then chapter 3, verse 13, Paul's suffering. The Apostle Paul, who had brought the gospel to Ephesus in the first place, who had planted and established the church over a period of three years, he is now in prison. And so it's not surprising, is it, that they are losing heart. It raises, I guess, all kinds of questions. Is God's plan really on track? Is Jesus really Lord? Is his power really at work in the church? So we need to remember the significance of the conflict. Because you see, there's far more going on here simply than one man being put in prison. The, the big picture is that the proclamation of the gospel always leads to conflict. It's precisely what Paul experienced when he first went to Ephesus several years previously. Keep a finger in Ephesians chapter 3 and turn back for a moment to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19 on page 1118. Now, do read the whole of this chapter later. It is full of the language of conquest and conflict and power. So can you feel the power of God in verse 11? As we're told, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Can you feel the sense of conflict in verse 12? so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came 
out of them. The sense of conquests in verse 20, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And then in verse 26, Paul's ministry is summarized. And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, that's the, uh, that is what we would call Turkey, in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And then the resulting conflict, verse 29. So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. Here is a massive crowd of demonstrators. The great theater, the great amphitheater in Ephesus, we're told held 24,000 people. Now, we're not told that every seat was taken, but nonetheless, it gives us something of an idea of the enormous opposition there was protesting at the progress of the gospel in Ephesus. Just as now, several years later, the Apostle Paul is in prison for preaching that same gospel. Let me ask you a question. When you go outside on a rainy day and you get wet... What do you imagine is happening? Do you imagine that? Do you imagine yourself to be one of like, like like one of those cartoon characters walking around the place, and there's a kind of solitary rain cloud, you know, over their head, and everyone else is enjoying glorious sunshine, and the, wherever they move, the kind of rain cloud moves with them, and everyone else is still enjoying glorious sunshine. Is that is that what you imagine it's, it's like? Of course not. Because what you do is you look up, don't you, and actually you see a whole sky full of dark, angry rain clouds. Something far bigger than simply one solitary cloud sitting over your head. And in the same way, if we're to understand the significance of of opposition to the gospel, we need to do exactly the same thing and look up. You see, it's not just that there happened to be one solitary rain cloud of opposition over the head of the Apostle Paul when he first established that church in Ephesus. It's not just that there happens to be yet another solitary cloud of opposition, as several years later, chapter 3, verse 1, he finds himself in prison. No, it is that he is engaged in a far bigger spiritual battle, because wherever the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed, the spiritual powers of darkness in the universe hate it. Do you remember chapter 2, verse 2? How all of us by nature follow the prince of the power of the air, the devil. We follow his lie that life without God is better than life with God. He hates it that Jesus has conquered his power. He hates it when the gospel is proclaimed. He hates it when people put their trust in Jesus. And so there will be conflict It's why, and I don't know if you've noticed as we've uh, been looking at Ephesians over these last few weeks, Ephesians is full, isn't it, of big picture language. It's how the letter starts with the big picture of God's plan for the fullness of time. Big picture language to assure us, you see, that the plan of God and the power of God are so much greater and so much bigger than the forces of evil. And it's how the letter finishes Big picture language, just turn over the page to uh, chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. 
Ephesians 6 verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So don't lose heart when you face opposition and conflict. Whether it's in the HR department at work or the sneering of the media or the friends at school or the the colleague who is uh, completely dismissive of Jesus or even opposition faced by a local church, whether from the secular establishment or the religious authorities, remember the significance of the conflict. But secondly, remember the significance of the Apostle Paul, Ephesians 3, verses 2 to 9. Because uh, you can imagine, can't you, his, uh, his suffering, his imprisonment would have raised all kinds of questions for the Christians in Ephesus. Is he the genuine article? Did we make a mistake trusting his message? So notice in verse 2 how Paul sees himself as a steward, some, someone with who has been entrusted to pass something on. Verse 2, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. A steward of what he calls the mystery. It's there in verse 3. The mystery was made known to me by revelation. It's there again in verse 4, and it's there again in verse 6. This mystery. Now, by mystery, he doesn't mean what we mean by mystery, which is something that we have to work out for ourselves, like uh, Hercule Poirot and Agatha Christie or something like that. Rather, what he means is new information. New information that God has now provided that wasn't available previously in the Old Testament before Jesus came, not available to Abraham, Moses, David, Isaiah. Yes, they knew that the Gentiles... Non-Jewish people would be blessed. There are Gentiles, non-Jewish people in the Old Testament who come to put their trust in the living God. Think of people like Rahab and Naaman. So what's the new information? Well, it's there in verse 6. This mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The key word in that verse is the word fellow. It's actually there three times in the original. Fellow heirs, fellow members of the same body, fellow partakers of the promise. In other words, Jew and Gentile together in Christ and in Christ together on completely equal terms. It means that a Gentile, someone not from a Jewish background, doesn't have to become a Jew in order to be forgiven and part of God's people. Rather, both have come to put their trust in Christ and done so on completely equal terms. Fellow members of God's household, equal in status. So no wonder is it that in verse 8, Paul describes this gospel message as the unsearchable riches of Christ. It's no wonder that in verse 9, it's the preaching of this message that brings people from spiritual darkness to spiritual light. 
Maybe, I guess, that you're, you could be here this morning and actually you've never really seen this. <laughs> to belong to Jesus Christ is to possess the most enormous riches, far greater than anything this world can offer, greater than pensions, greater than any investments, greater than any uh, property wealth or income wealth you may have. And that to belong to Jesus Christ is to have moved from the realm of spiritual darkness to the realm of spiritual light. That is the gospel the Apostle Paul was entrusted with, which means that it's through him that the church beyond the geographical boundaries of first century Israel will come into being. Verse 8, to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. That is the unique role which the Apostle Paul was given, given to him when he was converted on the Damascus Road. I put Acts chapter 9 on the outline just so we can see that. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Do you notice significantly Jesus' commission of Paul to be an apostle to the Gentiles includes suffering. So don't lose heart. Don't lose heart when you insist that Paul's gospel is the gospel and you encounter opposition for it. Instead, remember the significance of the Apostle Paul, a unique role in taking the gospel to the Gentiles, which is us, or I guess most of us, we are recipients, wonderfully so. And just as opposition was a mark of Paul's ministry, so it will be for those who preach that same gospel today. That's why it's no surprise that the Apostle Paul is so largely dismissed in our secular culture, whether it's his teaching about the roles of men and women in the family and in the church, or the uniqueness of the Lord Jesus, or his teaching about the judgments, or on marriage, or sexuality. We should expect that from unbelievers. Why? Well, because they are still in the realm of darkness. And for those, of course, who are within the church, who deny the truth of Paul's teaching, why it simply reveals that they too belong to the darkness rather than the light. So you see, we mustn't let opposition to Paul and opposition to his gospel cause us to lose heart. Yes, we need thick skins, but we need to hold on to the significance of Paul as the apostle chosen by the Lord Jesus and have confidence in him. Don't lose heart when the world looks big. But secondly, don't lose heart when the church looks small. Verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. 
This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that word manifold in verse 10 simply means many colored. It was a word which would have been used for the many different colored trees, on a, many different colored leaves on a tree or a plant or something like that. And in the same way, as we've seen throughout this series in Ephesians, members of God's new humanity, his new society, the church, are many colored. So the Ephesians would have uh, read this and thought immediately, of course, of Jew and Gentile. Uh, Perhaps in our culture we think of those with different color skin or from different uh, cultures or different social status, some poor, uh, some wealthy, some well-educated, some less well-educated, and so on. You see, the power of the gospel is seen as people who, humanly speaking, wouldn't give each other the time of day, are brought together with a new identity, united in Christ, serving him as Lord and indwelt by his Spirit. And notice, will you, in verse 10, that the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, they know all too well the significance of that. The spiritual forces of the universe, Paul especially, I guess, thinking about the powers of evil, as they see the church, they can see the significance of it. They know that their days are numbered, that their power has been decisively broken, and that their final defeat is imminent as God's purposes move towards their climax. Just imagine for a moment you had been on holiday in Indonesia at the beginning of last month on the island of Sulawesi. And as you sat there on the beach reading a book or uh, whatever it is you like to do on the beach, you suddenly notice the most extraordinary thing, uh, the sea receding out from the shoreline at the most extraordinary rate, uh, the ocean floor being exposed, moving so fast that fish were left stranded on what then became the beach. Now, I guess at that point, you might have had one of two reactions. If you'd understood the significance of what was happening, then you'd have fled. Because you'd have known all too well that the very next thing was going to be a tsunami. But if you didn't know the significance of what was happening, I guess you might have stayed put. You might have just thought to yourself, that's a bit odd. I haven't seen anything like that before unaware completely of the significance, unaware of what was going to follow. Just as there are two ways in which you can look at the church. One is to completely miss the significance of the church, uh, to look at the church and think that's weird, and to see the church as little more from a hangover, as a hangover from the past, redundant in modern 21st century society. The other, though, is to see the church not as a hangover from the past, but as a pointer and a signpost to the future. A picture, if you like, of where the world is heading. Chapter 1, verse 10, to a new creation and God's plan to unite all things under the rule of Jesus. That is what the spiritual powers and authorities in the universe understand when they look at the church. They know what is coming next. In other words, they look at our gathering here this morning 
a mix of people from all sorts of different backgrounds, people who perhaps, uh, humanly speaking, would have very little to do with each other, and yet all united around Jesus. They then zoom out a bit, and they look at churches across London, and the huge variety of people who have all put their trust in Jesus Christ. They then zoom out even more, and they look at churches meeting across the whole world today, people from every tribe and every country and every nation, all united under the rule of Jesus Christ, at which point the spiritual powers and authorities in our universe, they tremble because they know that God's master plan for a new creation under the rule of King Jesus is on track may not be obvious to us, but it's obvious to them. That to be a follower of Jesus is to be on the right side of history. So what's the application? Verse 13. Don't lose heart. And don't fall for the lie that the church is insignificant and the work of the gospel is insignificant. Let's just finish by thinking about what it might look like for us to lose hearts. I guess for some it may mean drifting away from Jesus altogether. But more likely, I suspect, for most of us to lose hearts, we may well keep coming to church and yet we would drop the ball in terms of being committed to gospel ministry. We would drop the ball in terms of seeking to speak to others about Jesus. Why? Well, for the very simple reason that the eyes of our heart begin to look elsewhere, and therefore our ambitions and our desires move elsewhere to, um, well, whatever, the kind of countless projects and ambitions that so easily consume us, whether it's our career or home improvements or, or, or whatever. Compared to which, seeing the local church established, growing, strong, mature, seeing the gospel being proclaimed can so easily take a back seat because we forget how very significant the church is, that it's in the church that God's future purposes and plans for his world are seen. And we forget that actually we have an invisible audience watching us this morning. Humanly speaking, our gathering looks very unimpressive, doesn't it? Unimpressive perhaps for some of us compared to the uh, business deals we have on at the moment or coming up in the week ahead. Unimpressive compared with the political dramas of the day. Unimpressive, I guess, for many of us compared simply with the stuff that we're uh, sort of thinking about and processing and there we've got coming up in the week ahead. But don't let appearances deceive you. Because row upon row of spiritual powers and authorities marvel and tremble at what they see as they look at this gathering this morning, as they look globally at at, at, uh, churches meeting, people united under the rule of Jesus. They tremble. They marvel. Confirmation that God's plan for his world for a new creation in the future united under the rule of Jesus is indeed on track.
Let's pray together. Time for uh, quiet and reflection. I'll then lead us in prayer and then we'll have uh, time for questions if there are any questions. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Heavenly Father, we tell you that so often we are tempted to lose heart because the world around us looks big and the church in our culture looks small and insignificant. And therefore we praise you for this uh, wonderful reminder, both that uh, opposition always goes with gospel proclamation, uh, the reminder of the confidence we can have in the Apostle Paul, and the reminder of this audience we have this morning as rulers and powers in the heavenly places marvel and tremble as they see what we cannot see, confirmation that your plan for all of history is indeed on track. And we pray, therefore, Heavenly Father, please would you help us to remember these things, Please would you help us not to lose heart. Please would you help us to be those who stand firm. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.